and all of a sudden this Brindy leaps up onto deck and he's running for dear life and this human comes running up after him and this human is running. He's got like his hands curved into claws and it's like he's uh, got this animalistic urge behind him and his eyes are like a bright purple as he comes tearing up and the Brindy is just falling butt towards his mount and just before he makes it to where the crow is the human reaches out and snatches him up by his legs and it startles the crow and the crow goes flapping off and the uh, human takes the Brindy and whips him up in the air and then just cracks his head against the railing of the uh, skyship and just beats this poor little Brindy on the uh, railing over and over again and as he's doing this you can hear the sounds of these just like tormented screams from below deck and somewhere from one of the towers you hear we've got the affliction fire and several of the ballista move into position and these giant bolts come firing out when they pierce the hull of this ship and the gases inside the flight ladder catch and there's a brief explosion and the ship just starts to break apart and fall down into the fog and you can see this uh, human who is still whipping the poor Brindy around tosses it and runs towards the rail and it jumps like it's trying to reach the shore but it can't make it and it falls down reaching up towards the sky as it goes plummeting down toward the land far below. And a quiet settles over the dragon's den. Is there any sort of reaction that uh, Fausto or Wilhelm have to witnessing all this? I think Wilhelm um, runs to the nearest trash can or bathroom and just like throws up like that was too much for him that was one of those things that would uh, trigger some anxiety really badly I don't know if you're gonna want him to roll that one again <laughs> but but yeah that's that was a whole lot that's that's a thing that scares the hell out of him well I don't think anybody's gonna top that <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, wow. <laughs> um <laughs> Don't mind me. Um I well first of all, I think Fausta has probably never seen anything like this. I imagine um, the Aurai, at least the Strigacast, probably live far inland to avoid fog swells like that. And even though she just has recently witnessed somebody dying right before her eyes, thanks to Tulin, um... I don't think she's ever seen anything so violent, and I think it scares the shit out of her 
Um, and then to watch Wilhelm just run to the bathroom and be sick. That was a very long way for me to say that I think Faust is just kind of scared stiff at this moment. She is processing what she just saw. All right. So as everyone is uh, taking the time to collect themselves in the, uh, in the room here, Wilhelm, you are on your way back from the uh, privy that you ran to. And you, uh, you notice a group of people sitting at one of the tables that um, they're kind of a, an interesting mix of people. Uh, there's a pair of Aurai there. There's a female Grawl. Um, there's a short man with a long, bushy beard. And there is someone who you recognize, um, a former colleague of yours in the diplomatic world, uh, is a Ninar, and his name is Monsol. I'm uh, going to kind of gather myself after what I just witnessed. And uh, I'm going to walk over and, and say, Monsol, uh, crazy to see you here. How, how have you been? Monsol, uh, his eyes kind of go wide and he stiffens. He looks at you. His gills kind of flutter a little bit. Uh, the Ninar, for our listeners, are they are an amphibious species. Um, so they live both in the water and on land. Uh, but they have little gills on the sides of their neck that they need to keep uh, wet when they're in the air. Um, so his gills kind of flutter a little bit, and he glances over at one of the Aurai like he's not sure if he can answer. And the Aurai uh, sort of leans back in his chair and looks at Wilhelm and he says, hmm, move along with you. We have no use for you here. Well, Wilhelm's just going to say, um, excuse me, I wasn't addressing you. I was speaking with a, an old colleague of mine. And you are? Hmm. A colleague, you say? Well, I suppose he could have been something like that at one time. I am one of the gold feathers. I don't think you're important enough to know my first name. Um, am I important <laughs> enough to know his first name? Because I am familiar with the gold feathers somehow. Um, so you would, you would be aware of like the family names in the, in the gold feather family. Um, you know, they're not the most well-known Strigacast house at this point, but um, you've, you've had some experience with them. Okay. Um, are, uh, would, would I recognize one of them considering, you know, I don't know, would I, would I recognize uh, this one who just addressed me? Um, you probably wouldn't recognize him by um, just looking at like you probably haven't met him okay. in person yourself. All right. 
Um, well, I'd say, well, it appears you do have me at a, a disadvantage here. I am, I am somewhat familiar with the gold feathers. I've I've worked with several of the strategy class in in years past. My apologies. I'm sure. Now, be gone with you. We have no use for you here. Hmm. All right, your loss. And I just walk off. I just glance back at Monsol, and I'm just baffled at what's taking place there, but I don't want to make things worse for them. So, yeah, I'm going to saunter back to the table and just, uh, and just ask um, Fausta here, do you know any of the gold feathers? Uh, yeah. Why? It seems there's, uh, there's a couple of them here. Oh. Well, that's unfortunate. You're telling me. Um, do we have business with them? Please don't tell me they're the dragon hands. I really hope they're not the dragon's hand. Speaking of which, maybe we should ask uh, the barkeep or the owner of the tavern here. Maybe they know that uh, where to point us to. Yes, I think that's a good idea. And I think as they're walking up, Faust is like, where are they? Which table are they at? Are you looking for the dragon's hand or are you looking for the gold feather? The gold feather. So you do catch sight of the table and you recognize he's a lot older now than the last time you saw him, but you recognize this particular gold feather. Uh, It is a um, childhood acquaintance of yours named Pomponius. Oh, man. Um, I think Fausta is going to do the whole, like, hand over the face thing, like, ducking, you can't see me, bid as they're walking towards the bar to find the dragon hand. So I don't, do you need me to roll for that? Um, No, I think you can, uh, you could just do that here. So you guys make it up to the barkeep and he's kind of cleaning a glass there. And he says, ah, take it you're here for the big what to do. Yeah, you wouldn't happen to know who to appoint us to to talk about that, would you? Ah, don't worry. They'll be here in a minute. No, look, we're early, Fausta. Yeah, we meant to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, sure enough, a couple minutes later, some uh, officious-looking people enter the room. They say, all right, everybody's had a chance to, to calm down from the excitement. Each of our teams, uh, please meet up with one of uh, the officials from the Dragon's Hand here. We're, we're going to be arrayed along the back wall right over here. Uh, you'll be given your assignments. And uh, we need to have a special conversation with, and they talk about there's one of the groups. Apparently the ship that was destroyed in the uh, docks was supposed to be taking one of the investigative teams, but uh, they have to find a new ship now. And uh, as all of this is going on and people are milling towards different uh, places in the room, you hear a chair like get kicked and clatter 
And then you hear this twilight elf from across the room go, I have always hated that chair my entire life. It's just kind of an odd little, uh, <laughs> odd little moment. But you guys find your advisor from the dragon's hand. And he sits down with you and he says, Hmm, you were a last minute addition to the roster, I believe. We don't have the name of your ship down. Um, I believe you were sponsored by one Professor Everick, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Hmm, yes. Um, we have high praise here from the Professor. Uh, we uh, have decided not to assign you a particular portion of the ship. Most of our teams are being assigned a uh, specific section of the ship, although we have a number of teams who are examining the, uh, the primary hole in the side of the hull, so we would recommend that you avoid that area of the wreck. Well, I wasn't expecting this. Is there a different assignment for us then? Well, we would like you to focus your attention on the scientific laboratories, sort of in the middle decks. Uh, we feel like with the education represented in your team that uh, you might have a better time interpreting some of the uh, information that you might find in that area of the wreck. Indeed. All right. And how long do we have to complete this mission? We aren't sure how stable the Fathomless Heaven is or how long it might remain in the sky, but... Whatever information you can find and get out safely. We aren't putting a specific timeline on this. How have you secured our passage through the barricades? In order to keep this operation as safe and secure as possible, we haven't secured passage for the individual crews. You'll have to handle that aspect on your own. Wilhelm's just going to pipe up and say, just how exactly... Does that ensure safety and security? You're telling us we have to find our own way to circumvent two militaries out of, out of a concern for safety. Yes, and if you fail in doing so, it won't wash back on any of the other teams that way. Hmm, all right. But surely a team that, uh, tries to make it across and gets caught, might put them on high alert. It might, but we have confidence in our teams to be able to make it through. Okay, but how much are you paying the teams that succeed in this? What is the funding behind this? This is an awful lot of risk on, you know, any of these groups of people. I would hope that we're, that we're being well compensated for this. Oh, yes. The details of that should have been in your uh, welcome packet. Were you given one? I look at Fausta. Sheepish grin. I, let's say hypothetically we weren't given one. I see. Well. We were a last minute addition. Ah, right you are. Yes. Well, compensation for this mission uh, essentially boils down to what information you can bring us that details what happened aboard the ship and what may have been the cause of its disappearance. So for each uniquely identifiable piece of information, um, there will be, and so he, he explains the, uh, the compensation model here, and it's 
it's pretty generous provided that you can find information to share. Um, like it's not going to make anybody fabulously wealthy, but, um, if you can make it through the mission, it's definitely going to be worth. Okay. All right. Very well. Um, who, where do we report back to you once we've accumulated this information? The rendezvous will take place in Cloudholm at Dragon's Peak. Very well. Um, Faust is going to look at Wilhelm and, like, shrug. Um, Wilhelm will look back to this um, official and just say, anything else you feel we should know for this? Hmm. We have it on good authority that the uh, Aurai commander in charge of that contingent of the Armada guarding the wreck. Well, he's a bit of a stickler for the rules. Is his ship easily identifiable? Oh, yes. Yes, the uh, Lord Commander's vessel is far and away the largest in the Aurai fleet that's there. Okay. What's his name? His name, as we understand, is Lord Commander Quiridon. Out of character, does Fausta know Quiridon? She would definitely know of him, uh, because he's from such a prominent family. Um, I don't know if she would have to do... Are you cool if I roll for this to see whether she's actually met him in person or not? Absolutely roll for it. Do it. She has met him in person before. Oh, okay. So I suspect it probably, like, she doesn't know him real well, but um, she's met him a few times at... Parties. Yeah. <laughs> State parties, functions, <laughs> things like that. Moirés. Ah, fancy schmancy. Hmm. Um, okay, perfect. All right. I think we have all the information we need. Thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you again. As do I. So, as the two of you are, I mean, I assume you guys are going to leave the tavern at this point, right? Yes. So, as you're leaving the tavern, um, Pomponius and his crew are also leaving at the same time, and they uh, sort of pass in front of you, and Pomponius looks over, and then he does a double take. He says, Is that who I think it is? Hmm. Is that Fausta the Fidgeter I see? Um. Hi. Good to see you. Oh, I'm sure. And what brings you here? Hmm? I imagine it's the same thing that brings you here. <laughs> oh, do you? Your imaginings are so quaint, Fausta. They're quaint. Oh, yes, I've always thought so. Yes, I... I recall, and... Um, looks like your memories is sharp as a butter knife, Pomponius. <laughs> oh, oh, that 
wit that tries so very, very hard. I've always admired it, Fausta. Hmm. So, let me see if I can guess why you want to go on this uh, little investigation of the fathomless heaven here. Hmm. I suppose it has something to do with, oh, uh, I don't know, getting land dwellers to hug each other more often. Uh, so that will somehow make everything in the world better, yes? Or, or maybe you think that the fathomless heaven has the secret recipe uh, for the most delicious food in the world, and if everybody eats it, they will all just like each other and give each other hugs and draw each other rainbows. Am I getting close? He's like trying to uh, hold back laughing at, you know, what he obviously thinks are jokes. Uh, I think, uh, I think Wilhelm's going to chime in and just say, oh, wow, I don't, I never heard that the gold feathers were such charmers. Now I know why. <laughs> and then uh, Pomponius sort of, raises an eyebrow at Wilhelm, and he says, Hmm, I see. A human speaking to a Stridger in such a way. What is this world coming to? That senses mostly. This doesn't look like Hyperch to me, so. Hmm, and what a shame that is. Well... I suppose we'll be on our way. We might see you out there, yes? I certainly hope so. So what brings you on this adventure, um, since you are so far away from High Perch? Ah, well, I could share that piece of information with you, but what would you really do with it? I mean, honestly, Fausta, I'm here for an actual reason. Something that will benefit our people. Several somethings that could benefit our people, really. I mean, <laughs> all this dragon's hand nonsense about finding out what happened to the ship for the good of civilization. I mean, really. I'm there to help the civilization that matters. Mm. Yes, I am too. All of them. All of them matter. And I imagine you're not in it for the money because we all know how much you need more of that. I can only hope that at the end of the day, everybody's holding hands. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they will be. Hmm. Well, I suppose I should have my motley crew come along here. Everyone, come along, come along. It just sort of like snaps his finger and everybody uh, follows behind. And um, you see the other Aurai is following closely behind him and she uh, she sort of sizes Fausta up as she's walking by, and you see she's got um, 
she's got a pair of dueling rapiers on her hips, but she uh, is missing the top half of her left wing. There's like a scarred wound there, like something happened to the wing. So following behind her, the uh, there's a female Grawl who walks by. She's got kind of like emerald green scales. And she uh, glances over the two of you like really uninterestedly and then just keeps on going. And uh, Monsul walks by and he uh, looks at Wilhelm. And he's like almost like he's going to say something. And then he glances at Pomponius and just like scurries after him. And then the, uh, the short fellow with the beard walks by and he's finishing off a tankard of ale. So he walks up and he says, mm. Yeah, you two don't look like you'll be very hard to beat. I think we're going to bring home more of this money than you. Just fair warning. Boy, glad we found the charmer in the group. <laughs> Pats him on the back. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you are. <laughs> then uh, you hear the barkeep shout out from across the room Master Dwarf you still have to pay for that and he just turns like red in the face he turns around and he says I am not a dwarf I am a human why does everyone call me a dwarf just because I'm short <laughs> and he whips out his money purse and just grabs some coins and like throws them across the room at the barkeep and and storms out after the rest of his crew there. I just yelled, now we know not to underestimate you. <laughs> and I think Fausta, like behind Wilhelm, brandishing her fist, I think she's going to say, uh, and some of us don't do it for the money. <laughs> That's quite, quite noble of you, Fausta. Let's get back to the ship. All right. So meanwhile, back on the Scarlet Keelan, um, Chip and Tulin, you guys were able to hear the commotion when the Fogswell came in and that ship had to be destroyed in the wake of it. Um, what was your reaction to all of that? So Chip was uh, definitely startled by the whole thing. Um, you know, he was he was definitely wondering, you know, since they knew the fog was rolling in, why they decided to to try to dock with such little time left. But, uh, you know, that's just just not having your good sky legs about you and not knowing, uh, you know, when you're coming in hot, that if you can't tie off and land and control your vessel, that you can get in some serious trouble. So. Hopefully, he was looking at the rest of his crew, and he was hopefully thinking that, you know, this might not be something that they have to run into. So he was really thankful that he's got a seasoned um, Havarg crew. Nice. Um, do you think Tulin has any particular reaction to this? Do you think he's seen a fog swell before, or is this his first one? He's probably heard of them before since so many of the skyship crews are dwarves, you know, word I'm sure has gotten back to, to cloud home. Um, he, he was probably a bit, um, see what sort I'm looking for. Startled. 
I mean, he expected it. He knows how it all works. Uh, you know, and he understands, you know, the danger posed by a fog stricken ship. Um, I think he was taken aback by just how run of the mill business like the entire event was. Sure. Makes sense. So in the, um, in the wake of all this, when it's safe to go back out on deck again, as, um, Chip, you're doing your checks there. A visitor arrives at the uh, gangplank. He calls up to you and he says, Excuse me, are you the captain of this vessel? Um, no good, sir. Uh, the captain, she has uh, gone into, into town to speak with, um, with uh, another officer. We're not sure... When she'll be back to the vessel, we're just trying to to clean mm. her up and uh, get her in ship shape and ready to sail. I see. And would you be able to pass something on to your captain when she returns? Absolutely, good sir. I would. Hmm. And one more question: Is this one of those ships uh, that I've heard in this area are going out to? Examine that big wreck out there, the fathomless heaven. Ah, uh, sir, I honestly cannot say. I'm not sure exactly when we'll be heading out of out of the dock or when we'll be uh, back out into the to the cloud sea, but I'm not not really sure. Hmm. Very well. Well, tell your captain that if this does happen to be one of those ships, I would very much like to speak with her before she gets underway. Yes, sir. We expect her to be back um, today, for sure. So I will definitely pass that message along to her. What is your name? My name? What is his name? We're going to roll my name-picking dice here. Do-do-do. My name... Is Robert. Robert. Yes. You can find me at the Dragon's Den Tavern after all of today's nonsense is over. All right, Robert, I will pass that along. Dragon's Den Tavern. We will uh, definitely send, send her or one of her representatives to speak with you. Excellent. And he kind of walks off in a huff. He's definitely... Upset about something. To do meanwhile, let's see here. Now, um, Tulin, to do you were working on a couple of ideas here during this. Are you just in the sketching phase, like coming up with the ideas, or? Um, one of one of them is prototyped. Uh, I started last night. Uh, I was planning to uh, give it to Chip's family. Uh, it just wasn't quite ready in time there are uh, a few things to uh to work out so is is chip nearby um yes we can say that you're up on deck with chip at this point okay so uh tulin pulls out his prototype so chip i've been working on this for uh for much of the day and i think this may be the answer to some of your problems of your family's safety. 
he fiddles with it, uh, you know, fixing it up. Yes, it's a, it is a winch with a spring in it that goes under tension as you winch the person down. And then here, there is a safety lever. And when you engage the safety lever, it will rapidly pull the person at the end of the cable back up. Thus, someone on SIP who sees the fog approaching can simply push the button and pull their companion to safety. And Tulin pulls out this little wooden stick figure that he, that he carved and he ties the cable around it very excitedly and he's winching it down. And he's like, so here's you at the bottom of the cable and you're cutting the trees, right? And then someone says, oh no, there's fog. Chip is in danger. So they pull this little lever here. And he pulls the lever and the spring jerks so hard that it yanks him all the way up, the, the little stick figure all the way up, and it hits the end of the cable on the ascension and cleanly cuts the little wooden figure in half. Oh no! Chip turns his head to the side and says, well, that's one way to get out of it. <laughs> it still has some bugs. I still need to work on the spring tension, but I believe the idea is sound. I'm very interested to see what you come up with. Absolutely, Tulin. Well done. Well done, sir. Well done. Tulin is very proud of himself and takes his little prototype and kind of hugs it as he walks back to his room to work on version two. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, as Tulin uh, heads down to his room there, Chip, somebody from one of the uh, neighboring ships that's docked by uh, nearby calls out to you. He says, Ho there! Hey, have you seen anything uh, strange out on the cloud sea before you came here? We're just about to make way. Uh, no, just, you know, your typ typical eastern swell. I did not see the fog rolling in, though. We were, we were just out in front of it, so it was at our backs when we... When we approached the dock, we just got our hatches battened down before the fog rolled in. Ah, heart is good, yes. We did see something a bit odd. I don't know if it's anything you need to watch out for, but uh, one of my men saw a strange creature flying out in the distance. He said it... Uh, it looked sort of like a serpentine horse of some kind. It had wings. I don't know. He may have been into his cups, but uh, thought it was an interesting sighting. Might be worth sharing. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, thank you, good sir. And hopefully, if this beast of the air does catch up with you, that you give hot chase and are able to get out in front of it. May the wind always be at your backs. And yours. And with that, uh, that ship starts to get underway and pull out from the docks. And it's right about this time that uh, Wilhelm and Fausta arrive back at the Scarlet Keelan.
All right. Well, how's everyone doing? Did did you survive the fogs well? Well, Chip's going to be there to meet her and kind of says, well, you had a visitor. His name was Robert, and he would like to speak with you. And he is he's resting up at the uh, Dragon Dragon's Inn. Oh, okay. Um, do am I am I supposed to know Robert? Well, he was inquiring on our next bit of travel, and he wanted to know if we were going to investigate a some ship. And he wanted to know that if if uh, we would be interested in um, that venture with him. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. What species was he? He was a human. Oh, okay. <laughs> Robert the human. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for that information, Chip. Um, God, I'm so disappointed we didn't walk past him on the way back from the dragon's den. Wilhelm, did you see Robert? Um, I saw several people on our way back to the ship. I have no idea who Robert is. I'm sure they would have his name at the end. He said he had a rather large party with him, so I'm assuming I'm assuming that he uh, would be easy <laughs> to locate. I probably could identify him if I went with you. Well, then we should do that. Yes, um, I'm sorry, Wilhelm. It was foolish of me to assume that you knew him just be... Never mind. <laughs> Let's get back to the inn, where several different-looking humans <laughs> rest their weary eyes, or maybe drown their sorrows in drink. Julian stows his prototype and, and comes back up to see... Uh, kind of what what the mission is, what what they've learned ashore. Oh, Tulin, do you want to go to a to the uh, Dragon's Inn slash Den? Um, is there a difference between a Dragon's Den and a Dragon's Inn? It doesn't matter. I would be delighted. He probably needs to get some more gadgets for his gizmo that he's working on too. I don't want my back broke. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're making a uh, a gizmo that breaks backs? The intention is to rapidly pull someone up from the fog before they are adversely affected. Uh, they're still a little tweaking, and at this point, it jerks them so hard that when they reach the apex... And the cable becomes taut, it cuts them in two. But I'm sure that I can work this out. It's not that big of a deal. That is why you always take a healer. Mm-hmm. It's wise words. And that's why you always leave a note. <laughs> <laughs> I was not familiar that healers had the skill to reassemble a person. Well, as long as they aren't dead, I imagine there's something we could do. Um, I personally have never had to put anybody back together in that literal of a sense, but... Tulin holds out the two halves of his little wooden stick figure and says, 
So in your healer opinion, would this be fatal? <laughs> I'm gonna get back to you on that one. That's a stick, not a person. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an excellent point. You know, I suppose <laughs> if we had a healer, I really wouldn't need to tweak this thing at all. <laughs> I think you need to continue working on Doolin, I'm afraid a necromancer wouldn't be able to repair your little man. Doolin just kind of droops. <laughs> yes. Yes, I suppose you're right. All right. So about this point in the conversation, you guys arrive back at the uh, dragon's den. And um, just exiting as a group, one of the investigative teams that had met there to meet with the dragon's hand, um, uh, Fausto and Willem, you guys recognize them. They're an all-human team, and they're, uh, they've obviously been uh, doing a little drinking, and they're kind of slapping each other on the back, and they uh, walk out, and one of them sees Fausta standing there and uh, kind of nudges his buddy. He says, hey, 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 look. Look, these guys, they brought an Auri with them. <laughs> hey, you know what that means? I guess they really want to know who did it. <laughs> they all just like think they're really funny. They all just start busting out laughing. Oh, that's annoying. Um, Faust is pointedly going to look at Tulin and Goa. Well, that's what you get when you hire a bunch of humans. We know who is going to die first on this mission. Idiots. Okay, I feel like there's something going over my head here. I'm gonna kind of just stare and glare at <laughs> Fausta for a second. So I don't understand why, why the word who is so funny in these circumstances. Is that some sort of R.I. thing that I don't know about yet? Um, uh, I don't... Yes. That it is a, some sort of R.I. thing that you don't know or understand. It's fine. Hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Ah. So it's, it's something highly personal and rude. Yes. All right. So with that, will you guys go ahead and proceed inside? Yes, and I think Fausta is going to stand up just a little straighter and... Stare down her nose just as much as she can at that group as they pass by. Tulin yells back as they go in the door. Well, at least he's not some stupidly tall dwarf with no beard. <laughs> you you tell him, buddy. What, so, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> so inside, um, Chip, you recognize Robert right away. He's sitting very impatiently in the back of the room. He's got like the uh, guy's arms crossed. He's got like one of his fingers tapping on his elbow like, where are these people? Why are they keeping me waiting? <laughs> sort of. Do you guys want to approach him right away or do something else. Mr. Robert. Chip's just going to walk right up to him and say, the lovely Lady Fausta is at the door waiting to speak with you. Excellent. 
So he gets up and he walks over. And he says, Lady Fausta, is it? So you're the captain of this crew? Yes, what of it? Hmm. And is your ship one of the ones going to investigate this fathomless heaven nonsense? I'm sorry, Robert. It's nice to meet you. Um, what business do you have with me and my ship? Hmm. I am a representative of the Sky Senate. And we do not approve of this mission by the Dragon's Hand. This matter should have been handled internationally through our organization. But since it hasn't been, we would like to ask that rather than reporting this information to them, you report it to us. It is, after all, your civic duty as a member of the Sky community. Hmm. Um, it's just a civic duty. Correct? Just a civic duty? Whatever do you mean, Captain? Straightens up. Exactly what I said. And I don't believe you've spoken with Professor Everick. What business does the Sky Senate have? To... <laughs> what are you doing, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fidgeting with things at my desk. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was very menacing. Um... <laughs> oh, shit. I just forgot where. Um, and what exactly is the Sky Senate looking for as opposed to the Dragon's Hand? I have a very specific mission. We are looking for the same thing that the Dragon's Hand is looking for. The information rightfully belongs with us. I'm going to take a minute here um, to explain for our listeners what the Sky Senate is. So, after the coming of the fog, um, the land dwellers had to agree to live under Aurai rule for a time. And then uh, an event that we have mentioned uh, in a previous episode, the Wingless Rebellion occurred where the land dwellers rebelled and threw off Aurai rule and got some of their own land in the floating islands uh, for their own nations. And as part of the treaty that ended the Wingless Rebellion, they established the Sky Senate, which is um, sort of sort of like a United Nations of the Sky. Um, it has been useful at various times over uh, the millennia since the coming of the fog. However, in recent centuries, it's, uh, and you would definitely be aware of this, Wilhelm, the Sky Senate has become something of a joke in diplomatic circles. They're... They've basically been shown to be a dog with no teeth. Uh, they're very ineffective. And, in fact, they got major egg on their face 50 years ago when the Fathomless Heaven Project was first undertaken. Because when uh, they were trying, when the group who built the Fathomless Heaven was trying to uh, get funding and support to construct the ship, they approached the Sky Senate first, and the Sky Senate turned them down, feeling like there was not enough intrinsic value in the project. And um, a bunch, basically a collaboration of nations got together independently of the Sky Senate and said, no, this is important. Uh, we are going to put this together and did it on their own and basically performed the entire function of the Sky Senate without any involvement from them whatsoever. 
ooh, yeah, this is a great opportunity to throw that back in their face. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to chime in and just say, I, I don't see under what authority the Sky Senate has any say in what happens with a ship they refused to fund on its voyage. Um, frankly, I don't see what important things the Sky Senate's going to do with this information that the Dragon's Hand won't be able to do without them. Robert's back stiffens up. He says, This constitutes an international incident which falls under the purview of the Sky Senate. And? And that is why we need the information that you find from the Fathomless Heaven. And why why would it not filter its way to you in adequate time after being turned into the dragon's hand? I mean, right now there are two other nations there are that are, you know, trying to prevent anybody else from getting in there. Why haven't you tried to speak with them about this investigation and encourage them to work together and allow others to come in and investigate. Indeed. And why did you approach this particular ship with me as the captain when there, you should know that there are several. Yes, there are several, and I am not the only member of the Sky Senate here speaking to investigative teams. Fortunately, there was not enough time for us to get people to speak with everyone, but <laughs> we thought that it might be pertinent to speak with your... The reasons for why we spoke with your crew are not important. They are very classified uh, in the highest echelons of the Sky Senate uh, organization. Uh, stop asking questions like that. I just... I need your assurances that your information will be turned over to us and not the dragon's hand because it appropriately should go to the Sky Senate first to be distributed to those parties who need it. Who are the parties that need it? We don't know who the parties are needed yet. That's part of the reason why the information should come to us so that we can determine who needs it and then uh, give it to them. Okay. Um. And And in all this time, have you maybe sent some of your more rational delegates to maybe work with the dragon's hand instead? Well, I'm afraid that is something I'm not allowed to discuss because of reasons that I have been paid not to tell you. Oh, you've been paid. Yes, I get paid by the Sky Senate. We pay our employees. For your civil duty. I'm sorry, sir. I am not well versed on in international politics, um, but perhaps uh, you wouldn't mind ask, answering a question for me, just to so that I can understand what's going on. Very well. Okay, so you said that the reason that you were talking to us was very highly classified, but it is. Since we're the subject of the very highly classifiedness, didn't we know what the highly classifiedness is? 
No, the fact that it is classified is precisely the reason why you, as the subject of the reason that it is classified, should not know about it. So, so it's like that, a secret that we're not supposed to know about, about us. Exactly. This sounds extremely rude. It is very rude to keep secrets about people. Now, you, you come to us to ask us to, instead of report to our employers about the task they gave us, you want us to bring that information to you. You won't tell us why, other than it's of international importance, which, you know, I, I'm not sure anybody's taken your group seriously on that in several decades. But you, you, won't, you won't share any information with us. What is in this for us? What is in it for you? What's in it for you? How about better relations between our various nations? How about peace and prosperity for all? How about the warm feeling in your heart, knowing that you have done your duty as citizens of the sky to follow the proper procedure and get the information to the place that it needs to be so that it can be distributed properly and not just willy-nilly by some group of people we don't even know who they are that just pay people to do nice things for each other. So, as a former uh, bureaucrat myself, I can tell you only one of two things are true. A, you're very new to this, or B... You are lying through your teeth. And either way, I do not see any purpose in discussing this with you further. Um, now, that is not my decision to make, but instead my captain's. And I turn to Fausta. Fausta's quietly listening, listening for a rebuttal. Has it ever occurred to you, you stupid hairless dwarf, that if information was freely shared and there was no secrets, that there would be more peace and prosperity? Julian pops him in the forehead with uh, <laughs> his latest creation, which uh, turns out to be the first spork ever made on uh, Ver Verilon. <laughs> oh, what? I've never been treated this way. He's rubbing at the spork spot on his forehead. Oh, I just... Oh. I clearly am wasting my time with this group. Group of brutish ruffians with no sense of civic responsibility. You can be assured that my superiors in the Sky Senate will hear about this. This is when Fausta loses her temper. She is done. She is ready to just get on the road, and she feels like this has just been a complete waste of time. So she is going to raise herself up to full Aurai height um, and crane her neck as high as it will go, look down her beak, and what is she going to say? Hmm. Now listen, you stupid, hairless dwarf. <laughs> I am not entitled to report to anybody 
on the matters of sky business, especially a stupid land dweller who knows nothing of being in the sky and calling the sky home. Now, if there is anything else you need, you can report to my crew. And we are done here. Very well, then. <laughs> and he turns on his heel and storms off. Wilhelm just says, that works. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you did good. Could do better, you did good. <laughs> you won this one. Faust is going to do like the ruffled feather and then shake. Thank you, Wilhelm. Um, I'm sorry. Not all humans are stupid hairless dwarfs. Um, I am quite aware. I happen to be one. Good. Uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> worried now, you may have forgotten. Um, well, we'll work on how to deliver a message like that a little more eloquently later on. But the fire behind it, really good stuff. You you knew where to apply pressure. We'll just work on applying that pressure more cleanly in the future. Well, I just would like to clarify. I don't think that um, the islands are just suited for our eye. I, I'm very glad that we have diversity here in the sky. And sky matters to, to everybody, even if they don't yes. have wings. <clears throat> well, that guy may believe something different judging on what you said but we'll discuss that later let's get back to the ship i don't know about you guys but i'm hungry Dulin <laughs> at this point has wandered off to the barkeep and is earnestly uh trying to sell him on the superiority of the spork <laughs> and and the significant savings in only having to buy one utensil over two and the barkeep's kind of looking at the spork Oh, I don't know, uh, my friend, this uh, seems like it's not long enough to stab anything to pick up, and wouldn't soup just run right out of those little things at the front there? Cooling grabs the spork. I'm surrounded by morons. <laughs> <laughs> and just storms out into the night. Does he throw the spark and try to stick it into the floor <laughs> angrily? On the way out, he uh, he stops and, and gets a spoonful of soup from one table and slurps it loudly and then shoves it into a roast a couple tables down <laughs> to demonstrate its usefulness as he storms out the door. Wilhelm's like, he just got soup everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> This is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So, is there anything um, the party wants to do ashore before you guys head out? Tulin is going to, uh, he's going to look for some, uh, like a ship supply place or a, a, a housing supply kind of place. And he would like to, uh, purchase a, a small stove uh, and some piping because he's got another idea. So he's, he's scrounging up some stuff. Okay. 
Yeah, and, and uh, Chip will probably go with him because he wants to maybe purchase some extra pitch for the uh, for the 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 green bow um, masts and some, and then he wants to get some uh, so probably some red pigment paint so that he can uh, touch up some of the railing and some of the low end copper boards probably on the bottom of the vessel. Okay. Um, our, oh, excuse me, are Wilhelm and Fausta going with, or are you guys going to head straight back to the ship while those guys go out to do their th- thing here? Um, I don't necessarily think Fausta has any more business. I think Vagnera did a good job of making sure she had everything she needed before they left. So I think she's going to go take an angry nap. All right. What about Wilhelm? Yeah, Wilhelm's ready to get back to the ship. Okay. So, Chip, as you're out uh, buying your few supplies there, you cross by an alley, and you you see an Aurai speaking to somebody in this alley. And the Aurai in question, he um, he's dressed very nicely. And he has sort of this, like, pompous air about him. And he's speaking to this fellow who he's wearing a uniform that has, like, a um, a chain and a whip crossed. Like, a sigil of a chain and a whip crossed on the front of it. And, um, real quick, Chip, give me an IQ roll. Nailed it. All right, so you recognize uh, this symbol. It is the symbol that is commonly worn by Andalarian slavers. And um, this Aurai, he's speaking with this Andalarian, and he says, Now, I assume that everything is in working order with the ship? And the uh, Andalarian, who's a human, replies back, he says, Yes. Everything seems to be in uh, good condition. You can rest assured we will be holding up our end of the bargain when the time comes. Excellent. And you will keep an eye out for my ship when the time comes? Mm, Of course, that is part of the agreement. Very well. Quite pleased that we could do business together. And they... Shake hands and part ways in the alley. Hmm. Well, I think uh, Chip's going to, because I'm sure Tulin's real close, right? Yeah, I don't imagine you guys would have um, separated too far. Okay, I'm going to probably try to keep an eye on him and uh, run back and... and, uh, yell at Tulin really quick and explain to him what I, what I just saw and say, Hey, you know, these guys are, these guys are bad news and they probably have, have some, uh, people or something, somebody's trapped or, you know, they plan on probably selling some people into slavery. I'll kind of explain that to Tulin really quick and kind of get his attention and say, I think we should follow them and see what they're up to. At the word slavery, he has Tulin's undivided attention. There is nothing worse than stealing people. 
things can be replaced. I agree, Tulin. Let's kill him. The impulsive teenager coming out in Tulin right now. <laughs> they deserve nothing less than merciless destruction. And he pulls out his crossbow and starts cocking and loading it. And I'm going to say, well, wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't we wait to see where he goes so that we can free his slaves? Mm, yes, I suppose you're right. All right, let's try to keep our distance so that we don't get, don't show him that we're interested and try to follow him back to uh, where he's from. All right. So for this, you guys will be rolling against the shadowing skill, I believe. Because shadowing is the skill for do, 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 to follow another person without being noticed. Yes. So, do, do, and I don't think either of you has the shadowing skill, yes? Nope. Nope. Okay, so for this, we are going to roll against... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Normally, the default is that, but in this situation, I don't think it's going to be as difficult. So I'm going to say we're going to roll this at an IQ minus three. IQ minus three. Uh-oh. <laughs> no way. I got it. You got it? <laughs> My, my character's IQ is 8, and I definitely got a 5. I definitely did not get it. Uh, let's see. IQ minus 3 would make it an 8, and I rolled 12. Okay. So, as you guys are following this uh, slaver through the streets, Tulin, you're... Uh, kind of getting emotional and you sort of let it get the better of you and it tips off the slaver that you're back there and he walks back but he doesn't seem to notice chip there really he just kind of zeroes in on you walks back and he looks down at you and says why are you following me why do you steal people mm. because where i'm from i have the right to take people as my property so I do. But you're not where you're from. I suppose I'm not. So why do you still take people? Hmm. Well, sometimes there's more profit in someone who's not where you're from. So Chip's going to hear that. And he's going to keep walking and kind of stand to the side and pull one of his hatchets out of his bag, flip it over, and he's got it held up so he's ready to uh, toss it, and he knows if he tosses it like this upside down, he'll hit him in the back of the head with the, with the wooden part and knock him out. So he's just kind of waiting to see what Tulin does. So the uh, slaver keeps talking. He says, look, I'm not here to debate the morality of Andalar's way of life with you, little man. Now, we're docked in a Varathi port, and the Varathi don't allow slaving. So, you have nothing to worry about for any of your little friends here. Now, if we're done here, I'd like to go about my day without being further harassed. Is that all right with you? 
through absolutely Herculean effort, Tulin manages not to lose his temper and says, Very well. Conclude your business. Leave. And I never wish to see you again. I think we can safely say that the feeling is mutual on that one, my little friend. Because if I do see you again, you won't be seeing anything ever. Hmm. I guess we'll just have to see about that, now won't we? And with that, he turns and starts heading off in the direction that he was going before he turned back. So what would you guys like to do? Do you want to continue... Like, does Chip want to continue following him, or is the pursuit over at this point? Um, that's a good question. I think uh, he's going to look back at uh, Tulin for more guidance on whether he should continue to go his direction or not. Because, I don't know, something still doesn't sit right with Chip. He's got a bad gut feeling about this. He sees Tulin just standing there, shaking, a tear streaming down his cheek with unspent rage, just staring daggers into the guy's back as he walks away. Tulin is pretty much just frozen in... He doesn't trust himself to move at all until the guy is completely out of sight. So Chip's going to walk back up to Tulin. He knows about the general direction they're heading. And he knows there can only be about a couple of ships down that way. And he asks Tulin what he wants to do. I want to kill them. I want to kill them all. Unfortunately, that is not at this time an acceptable option. I wish to get my supplies and return to the ship. Do as you will. All right, so Chip... uh hands his uh, list to Tulin, and he continues to walk down after the slaver. All right, so Chip, you follow the slaver through a few more streets, and at one point he walks by a guy who, uh, he's chatting up this young lady, and he's sort of like gesturing to her to come with him, and she's obviously uh, had a bit too much to drink, and she's starting to come with him and he walks up and the slaver like grabs the young lady by the shoulder and tells her to, you know, go home and sleep it off. And, um, their guy looks at him and he says, uh, that was a prime piece of merchandise. What are you doing? We're not here to collect merchandise. We're here for a deal with the Aurai Lord. Okay. <laughs> He's a third son. He's not a lord. I don't care if he's a lord or not. I'm not here to discuss our politics. We're here because he is paying us in the form of a brand spanking new ship. And in exchange, we give him what he needs to get through that blockade. That's the only reason we're here. And when we do that, we collect merchandise from the Armada. Do I make myself clear? All right. Fine. 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 I'll go back to the ship. Yeah, you will. All right. 
And so with that, they uh, both start heading off towards the docks. All right, well, um, Chip basically got that information. He's going to put it down in his, uh, his brain bank and go ahead and continue following the slaver that's uh, going back to the sl- ship. All right, so you see, um, you follow the slaver, you see him make it back to his ship there, and he's got a crew of uh, Mandalorian slavers there with him, and they've, they've clearly been very rapidly bringing on supplies onto this ship. It looks like, you know, despite him describing it as brand spanking new, it looks like it's seen better days. And, you know, they're outfitting it with what would be standard equipment on an Andalarian uh, vessel, uh, slave vessel. They've got like these um, sky nets that they can launch out of Ballistae for uh, purposes of people capture um, in various ways. And, uh, but they, um, true to what the guy said, they don't seem to have any humanoid cargo on the ship or to be attempting to bring any on board. Hmm. All right. Well, um, Chip definitely, you know, he's never done this kind of thing before, but he doesn't want to, uh, get caught. Um, obviously. So he's going to make a note of where this ship's docked. And then he's going to go back and um, help Tulin with the supplies and hopefully uh, get back to the ship in time before it gets dark and, and let everybody, let, uh, let uh, Lady Fausta know and give her that information about what, what he thinks we should do and see, see what the rest of the group decides. So what is the... Um, rest of the group's reaction to this information. Like, do Fasta and Wilhelm have any opinions on this when they hear it from Chip? I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is Fausta knows exactly who the uh, Aurai is that they've cut a deal with. And she would probably try to find him, see if he's still docked, and have a stern conversation with him about it because that's fucked up i think uh i think wilhelm will just say i'm not sure that a stern conversation is going to dissuade him from continuing in this pursuit well what do you suggest honestly i don't know well we can't just sit by and let this happen i i agree with you there but maybe there's something else we can do. I think we might have more trouble doing something about it if he's aware that we're aware. If anything, slaving is a very cutthroat business. Not that I've not that I've ever dealt in it in any sort, but these are people that take other people as property. Um you have to be cutthroat to do that kind of thing. And if we just go out there and go, we know this is going on. We've painted a big target on our back. Um, I mean, we should at least, at least send a message to the Armada, correct? I would agree with that. Am I there or am I still shopping? 
You're muted, Aaron. I'm muted. So <laughs> you're there. <laughs> Chip's going to turn to Tulin and say, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to disable this vessel. And he's going to look at Wilhelm and say, is that what you were talking about? Um, I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. As, as loath as I am to admit it, I have to agree. Eventual but certain punishment is more important than prompt revenge. The only thing I can think of worse than stealing other people and keeping them as property to buy and sell and do as you wish, the only thing I can think worse than that is someone who will willingly give his own people to them. Indeed. They will all pay. Yes, and if you'll excuse me, gentlemen, I believe I need to go have a conversation. And I think Fausta's walking away. All right, so am I understanding correctly, Fausta, you want to go talk to um, Pomponius? Yes. Anybody's welcome to come if they want to. And are Chip and Tulin moving forward with the Disable the Slaver Ship plan? Mm. I'm not so sure about this, Chip. I mean, all that would do is slow them down. It wouldn't stop them. I think we need a more permanent solution. Maybe a hot coal on top of their ballast? Yes, but not while they're docked. We need them to plummet into the fog and perish, screaming, and spend their last waning seconds of life considering their many, many sins. I love how nonchalantly Tulin says this. <laughs> Plummet into the fog and spend their last moments contemplating their many sins. Ship's eyes are going to get big and he's going to be thinking internally, I've never murdered anyone before. I don't know if I have it in me. He's going to restate his last statement because he doesn't know how he should even react to that statement from Tulin. Maybe we could just put a fiery coal on top of their ballast. It'll deflate fast enough and they won't be able to fix it and they won't know where it needs to be fixed and it'll eventually fall until the ropes are all that holds it to the dock and they'll have to flee their vessel. Mm, Yes, I suppose slowing them down is better than not. I sense some disapproval. Well, I don't like them. I don't want them to live, but I don't have it in me to kill them. I wouldn't have thought I did either. But let me explain. When I was a child, our ship was attacked by slavers. Our crew was either taken or massacred, and it's only by extreme skill of those left that we managed to crash land at Dragon's Peak. My parents, possibly due to the temperature, possibly due to their injuries, possibly some other reason entirely, fell into a deep hibernation. So, while not an orphan, per se, I had no one. 
So not only do they take the people, but they destroy the people's families. You know about having your family destroyed. You know about watching loved ones leave and there's nothing you can do about it? Aye, I do. Well, there's something we can do about it. But that will have to wait for another day. I agree with you, sir. This is the time to slow them down, not to punish them. All right, let's find the biggest coal possible. and Let's heat it and uh, get it ready, and we'll, we'll launch it on top of their ballast. Oh, I have another idea. Rather than a coal, we can just heat a chunk of metal. We can heat it hot enough that it will just simply burn its way through the armor plating and the ballast. And if the ballast is inflated with, you know, the typical gas, it would be quite the show. I'm good with that. At least it gives them a fighting chance. Yeah, exactly. That's totally what I was thinking. So Tulin heads down to the engine room, uh, finds a, a, a bucket or a shovel or something in disrepair and uses the, uh, the furnaces there, since he doesn't have a forge on ship yet, to, uh, to heat it. How far away are we from their ship? They are... Um, you can probably see their ship from where you're at, but they're a good ways down the docks from you. There's a number of ships in between you and them. Well, I will say maybe uh, eight to ten ships in between you and the slavers. Okay. So I'm going to take my, my slag and uh, grab another bucket and just fill it with burning coals, but you know, no, uh, no airflow to superheat it. Put the slag in there to keep it warm and turn to Chip and say, let's go. Absolutely. As fast as we can. All right. So are you guys going to try and be stealthy or are you just going to run down there? In all honesty, unless we get caught, there's not going to be much chance of them doing anything. They're going to be more concerned of saving their own necks rather than chase us down. I'm afraid I would not be terribly stealthy holding a glowing chunk of metal. All right. So you guys make it down to um, the slaver's ship there, and they have some guards posted, and it looks like they are getting ready, like they're going to be able to get underway fairly soon here. So how would you like to proceed? Can we climb up above anything? Like, is there a... An observation tower near the thing, or is there a other? Is there a higher dock near that ship? Good question. Let's roll. Yes, in fact, they are docked like right next to one of the defense towers. Boom. Well, well, since since Tulin racially has the climbing ability and can just climb up the wall. He will attempt to do that and just climb up the outside of the defense tower. Go ahead and give me a roll for that. Okay. And while he's doing that, I'll try to uh, get closer and maybe distract the guards so that they're not looking around. 
Okay, how are you going to distract them? Uh, I'm going to act like I'm incapacitated and not sober. (laughs) Onto the ship. Oh, this plan just took a horrible, horrible turn. I just rolled a critical fail. Oh, dear. The most... The most critical of critical fails, an 18. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Tulin, you, you start out going pretty good as you're climbing up the tower there, but you failed to take into account that while Grawl skin is impervious to heat, uh, cloth is not. So the hot metal from inside of the bucket uh, accidentally ignites your pants that it's right there. It gets hot enough that your pant leg auto ignites and uh, all of a sudden you are on fire <laughs> trying to climb up the side of this defensive tower. And um, that, of course, attracts the attention of the guards who, you know, now their attention's divided between, oh, there's a grawl on fire on this tower and there's this drunken hadral trying to stumble his way onto our ship and, oh, What's going on? You know, they're all Twitter pated now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so what are you going to do uh, now that your pants are on fire as you were attempting to climb this tower? Uh, how high up did I make it? Um, you probably made it. Let's see. We're going to say you made it like 15 feet up the tower. That's about all. Okay. I will just slide down, remaining on fire, <laughs> and just walk calmly over to the ship. Screaming? Running? No, no, just calmly walking, fully ablaze. <laughs> walk straight up to the first guard, reach into my bucket, pull out the glowing metal, and hand it to him and said, Here, can you hold this for a moment? So the guards are. You know, they're distracted with trying to get, uh, <laughs> they're trying to get Chip back onto his feet. And one of them just kind of looks up and it's like, oh my God, there's this, you know, burning girl there. And he just sort of like, ah, okay, he reaches out his hand <laughs> and take whatever it is that you're handing to him. And the uh, metal lands into his hand and he screams and drops it to the deck. And let's see here. So the, um. The glowing metal there, it looks for a second as though it may ignite the uh, timbers on the deck, but as it rolls across, it loses some of its heat energy and it starts to go dark. So the guard has a badly burned hand, um, but that's about all that uh, happens from that. Are there any casks on, on deck? Or is there like an obvious entrance to a cargo hold where they might have wine and or other flammable cargo? Uh, So you do see some of their supplies are arrayed um, out on deck. They're being ready to be moved down below. And you see there are some uh, bottles of, well, not some uh, bottles, but some casks of rum among those. I will pull out my hammer and bust open a cask of rum, drop the hot metal into the highly flammable rum, and just walk back off the ship. Let's see. Um, Tulin, go ahead and give me a strength roll for that. Yo! 
So my strength is eight. I rolled a 10. So, um, Tulin tries to break into the cask, but he just can't quite manage. And at this point, um, the commotion has started to draw some of the other slavers up onto deck and they're looking to see what they can do to try and get control of the situation. Chip uh, realizes that they're there and he, he's been left alone. And now he's going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and run and start disconnecting the uh, ship from the dock. Give me a dex roll right quick, Chip. Nailed it. Okay, so the ship starts to uh, come off there. Unfortunately, uh, the slavers have not completely inflated the flight bladder yet. It's only partially inflated, uh, so the ship starts listing pretty heavily to starboard, and it crashes into the ship next to it, uh, which sort of creates a domino effect, like it that ship, you know, the uh, slave ship hits the other ship, and that ship's sort of swings into the ship next to it. And uh, pretty soon there are some pretty angry crews coming up, yelling at the Andalarians, going, what are you doing? <laughs> and the Andalarians are desperately trying to get their flight bladder fully inflated and get the ship back under control. <laughs> and you guys get to watch as the, uh, the show continues. So with that, we are going to jump back over to Fausta. Now, question, did Wilhelm go with Fausta, or is she going alone? Um, I don't think he did, no. All right, so Fausta, you are seeking out Pomponius. And he is not too difficult to find, because he, of course, has the uh, sigil of the Goldfeather House displayed on the sails of his ship, and you find uh, that sigil on a ship, a skyship called the Cobalt Phoenix. And when you approach the ship, you find the uh, human with the majestic dwarf-like beard is sitting there at the gangway. And uh, he looks at you and he says, Hmm, didn't expect to be seeing you so soon. Thought we might see you at the wreck. I need to speak to Pomponius. All right, then. So he uh, walks off, and pretty soon Pomponius and the female Aurai, um, close at his back, arrive on deck, and Pomponius comes and sort of languidly drapes himself over the rail, looking down at you, and he says, Oh, Fausta the Fidgeter, hmm. to what do I owe the unexpected pleasure? Really, Pomponius, are the gold feathers so hard up for either reputation or money that you would stoop to such means? Such means is associating with your family? Oh, trust me, we're not that desperate. Or associating with slavers? Slavers? Hmm. Now somebody has been playing a bit of cloak and dagger, hasn't she? And you're willing to risk ships full of R.I. soldiers, people that we grew up with, people that we know and cherish, to get through? Well, most of the men staffing those ships will be lower caste anyway. Hardly much of a loss to the nation, don't you think? Those are the backs that built the nation. Are you serious? Well, perhaps, but 
They wouldn't have known what to build if it wasn't for the likes of... Well, my apologies, I almost said us. Ah, yes. I forget that your family has been lavishly living for years upon years and don't understand the meaning of hard work. Oh, I understand the meaning of hard work. Have you not seen how long we've been having this conversation? Pomponius, I will not let this stand. Oh, you won't let it stand, will you? Hmm. And tell me, Fausta, my dear, what exactly do you plan on doing about it? I'm warning the R.I. Armada. Oh, I'm terribly frightened. Please don't do that. We'll see how confident you are when you are face-to-face with Lord Queerdon. And uh, this one of his eyebrows goes up and he says, Quiridon is the one leading the expedition. I imagine he's one of the several. Hmm. Perhaps you aren't completely useless after all. I didn't know that. You do your research very poorly. And I guess I will not be seeing you on that ship because there's no way that this plan is going to work. And once you're reported for... Working with slavers, you are going to fall even more out of grace with the High King, and then I guess we'll see who learns what labor is. So Pomponius spreads his wings, and he is one of the uh, one of the rare few Aurai who maintains the power of uh, full-powered flight. So he flaps his wings and raises himself into the air and uh, soars down and then sort of flaps and kind of uh, just keeps himself kind of in a holding pattern right in front of Fausta. He says, Now, I think what you are forgetting, and it's right about that moment when a few ships down all of a sudden comes unmoored from its hatchings and crashes into another ship, (laughs) and then which causes another ship to crash into another, and, uh, Pomponius looks up and a uh, wide-eyed look of recognition comes over his face and then he glares down at Fausta and he says, Well, it would appear I underestimated you after all. Believe me when I say that will not happen again. And then he flies back up to his ship and snaps his fingers and calls for his... uh, associate there to follow him back down below decks and um let's see fausta give me an iq roll right quick i got it right on the nose so you actually um something about the way the light catches her face or something as she turns you actually realize that you recognize this uh Aurai woman uh, she's a Nebulo, or a warrior cast Aurai, and um, she was, so the Aurai have a, um, a form of, um, like, dance, this is going to sound strange, but like dance fighting, so it's uh, talon, like, dueling with their talons and a rapier at the same time, but it's also, like, it's one part um, combat and one part, like, graceful dance for performance. They call it by a number of different names, but a lot of the participants think of themselves as um, like claw dancers or talon dancers. 
And she had a pretty promising career until her wing injury took her out of uh, competition uh, because a wing injury of that kind, um, like an amputation like that, disqualifies you from taking part in official events. Uh, and her name is Floriana. And she sort of uh, sizes you up and then uh, like closes her eyes and sort of shakes her head as she walks off to follow Pomponius back down below decks. Faustas not one to let Pomponius get the last word in, and I think she's just gonna shout like, you shouldn't have underestimated me in the first place! (laughs) And I think she's just going to um, storm off to the ship.